Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. What we're looking at today is the middle section of Parshat Kitetze in the book of Deuteronomy. It is a collection, it is the last collection of laws in Deuteronomy. And it is, it is a collection of laws that just kind of didn't fit uh, anywhere else. And sometimes what it allows me to do, I was talking with my Chavruta partner. Uh, we talk, as you know, every week, and we've been doing this for years and years. And, um, and I said to her, she goes, yeah, it's a shame you're locked into that second, third. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so she's like, because you could do this and you could do this and you could do this. I said, I can't do any of those, Hana. I am stuck in the second triennial reading. So then she said, well, how about Slater's Ma'or Vashemesh that we studied on this? I'm like, what? So, so we looked at that text again together that we studied years ago. And I was like, that's what I'm doing with them. That's what I'm going to do with them. She was like, really? I'm like, really? I trust them. They can handle this. We're going to do this. So we are going to do today. Uh, I've done this with you before a little bit, but we're going to do it. Um, most of today is going to be about following the rabbis down a rabbit hole. The rabbis also had to deal with these texts that didn't seem particularly enriching in terms of how we translate this into spiritual teaching for our time. The rabbis had the same challenge we have. And so the rabbis were very creative because this was the material they used, all of it. Like this is all they used, right? They didn't read secular materials, many of them, right? They, They were really immersed in a Jewish context and Torah was their sandbox, And it was all the toys in the sandbox, the verses, the words, the concepts are all the toys in the sandbox. And if you want some new toys, you're going to have to come up with it out of Torah. And that's what they did. And they were genius at it. Now, look, I know a lot of times it feels like a huge jump, particularly when you're just looking at the English. But fortunately, you have me here to help connect their jump through the Hebrew. Because often it looks like a huge jump to us in English, but if you look at the Hebrew, it's not. It's not as much of a stretch. But we're going to go down the rabbit hole that the rabbis go down, not just to show you how they do it, what their sacred play looks like, what their expertise is, what their creativity is, which is mighty. Um, Not just because of that, but we're going to do it because I actually love the teaching that they come up with out of the verse you're not going to believe when we start. Okay? So I'm going to ask all of you to suspend judgment, Carol Kleinman, on what verse we're starting with, the verses that we're starting with. And I promise you, by the end of our shiur, by the end of our lesson together, you're going to have um, some wonderful um, ideas and teachings um, from the spiritual tradition. Okay, so that is my preamble. That is my, what do you call it when you already want to say something before you say something? Disclaimer. That's my disclaimer. Okay. So first of all, let me give you a little bit of background on the the actual psukim, the actual verses we're going to look at. Um, The verses that we're going to look at actually have to do with um, when Israelites go to war. Um, And that's a lot of what the beginning of the Parsha is about. Kitetze, kitetze lemilchama, when you go out uh, to do battle. We're going to look at these um, laws that have to do with the military camp and what's happening at the military camp. And it's all about protecting the holiness of the camp. What we're used to seeing is language like this around what? Around the Mishkan. 
around the tabernacle, right? All that stuff about encroaching, all that stuff about the kind of state one has to be in, in order to be in the presence of the tabernacle, the presence of uh, God's kavod, God's concentrated essence that, remember, sits on top of the ark in the Holy of Holies in the Mishkan. All right. Now, why would they need to worry so much about holiness in the camp, in the military camp? Torah is going to give us just a hint about why. I want you to think about it. Some some of our commentators, our great thinkers have said, well, the ark used to go out to battle with the Israelites. They used to take it into battle. So that means when it comes back out of battle, it has to be in the camp. And therefore, the camp becomes like the Mishkan, you know, that there's nothing around the ark to protect it from impurity. And if there's impurity around, of course, we know God's presence can't rest there. So um, so the, the camp becomes, in fact, kind of a mishkan other commentators argue verse 15 in our in our parsha does not mention the ark it just says god's presence is there because god is fighting on behalf of israel and so they are to be super careful about preserving the holiness of the camp whatever whatever the reason torah is very explicit and has rules that we're going to look at this morning that have not much to do with how we usually think about the issues of human um, beings and what happens with their bodies. Okay. So this is where our Parsha begins, which is actually a really lovely place to start. You shall not abhor an Edomite for the Edomite is your kinsman. You shall not abhor an Egyptian for you were a stranger in his land. So there is a long history of tension and not great relations between Israel and Edom, uh, throughout the, throughout the Israelite history. And we're told here, they're still your kinsmen. So there seems to be an understanding, even by the time of the Deuteronomist, that even though there are tensions with Edom, often they are still, remember who the Edomites are traced back to. Do you remember? Who's the founder, the ancestor of the Edomites? Esau, right? Yaakov's twin brother, Esau. Esau in English, right? So they are still your kin, even if we have ongoing uh, problems with them. And it's a little odd, isn't it? That like, here, don't abhor an Egyptian. Wait, what? Right. They oppressed us and we were in slavery for 400 years. Are you kidding? So this is a lovely thing to reach for is not hating the people who oppressed us. Why? Because we were a stranger in their land. So before we were slaves, what happened? Do you remember? How did we get there? How did we get to Egypt? There was a famine, right? And and Egypt fed us and we lived there. Joseph rises to power, if you'll recall, the whole family comes down. So we lived there as strangers, says Torah. So they hosted us, essentially. You owe them uh, not to hate them. Children born to them may be admitted into the congregation of Yudhe in the third generation. So another way for us to remember that one did not convert to be an Israelite. So all this Hoo-ha, hoo-ha, hoo-ha stuff about conversion happens way later. Um, By the third generation, if they were still living in Israel, they were considered Israelites. Okay? So remember, boundaries were a lot more permeable in the ancient world. Identity was a lot less um, rigid the way we tend to think about it. And to become an Israelite, all you had to do was marry an Israelite man and you were an Israelite. Right? So um, living in, if you were living in Israel. Okay. 
All right. So lovely. Those are our two first sentences of, of our triennial division. All right. Now, here we go. Here we go with the beginning of the section that we're going to look at. So remember these word, this word in Hebrew, ra, when you go out as a troop against your enemies, be on your guard. I don't like this translation a lot against anything untoward. Um, be on your guard against any evil thing, any bad thing. Be on guard against any thing, ra, bad. Okay. So if any one of you has been rendered um, not tahor, not pure, meaning impure, how? By a nocturnal emission, he must leave the camp and must not re-enter the camp. Toward evening, he shall bathe in water and at sundown, he may re-enter the camp. So we can assume that this would ha- this would be the same case for if it happened during the day, but uh, in a military camp, one would presume it was more likely to happen at night than in the day. All right, um, but the same would hold true. So, so a, a level of impurity that can't be tolerated in the military camp is a seminal emission, um, and that so the person has to bathe. Uh, in uh, in mikveh and at sundown they can come back into the camp all right look at 13 i want you to look at this hebrew word this is one of the ways the rabbis are going to have a party that you would not suspect we got invited to from the english translation all right so do you see this word yad what does yad mean in hebrew in Um, general hand hand and monument hand right and barry's right that in this case most likely yad means monument we have this attested pretty pretty way back that fact that yad could be a monument so you imagine a pointer right so x marks the spot or this finger marks the spot so the yad we we still have this right we have a pointer a cursor on your computer screen is often right a hand, the hand tool, they tell me on Apple. So um, so this idea that Yad is a pointer, therefore a monument is very old. So let's go with that, that it means monument of some, a, a marker of some kind, but you can't forget that the word used for marker is Yad, is hand, because that's going to come in handy. <laughs> for the rabbis when they, all right, Robert Gorn, give me a break. Like I'm trying here. All right. It's morning. Um, so Yad here means hand and they're going to need a way into doing something with these verses because what do we, what do we get at the end of that sentence? So there shall be an area for you outside the camp. So Yad Tiyelcha. They're translating it area. There is an argument for that translation. I prefer uh, some of the other scholars who translate this instead as there's a marker for you outside the camp. And that marker tells you that's where you can relieve yourself. Meaning don't do it in the camp with your gear, right? You shall have a spike, a yated. And this is the word aznecha. You have to remember these words. I know even if you don't know Hebrew, yad, hand, 
and aznecha, your gear, your weaponry, your kit, your military backpack, right, that you carry with all your machete, your quiver, your bow, your stuff, your so you have your kit, and that's aznecha. So you're gonna you're gonna have a yateid, which has two letters of the word yad in it, by the way, right? Uh, two letters from the word hand in it. You're gonna put that on your aznecha on your kit. You and what is this yateid? It's a spike. You're gonna put a spike on your kit so that when you have squatted, you will dig a hole with it with that spike and cover up your excrement. This says se'atecha. So that which comes out of you. Lovely. Okay. And the rabbis are going to have a spiritual teaching from this people. You do not know how genius these people were. Since Adonai, your God, moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you, let your camp be holy. Let God not find anything unseemly among you and turn away from you. Okay, so this seems to suggest that the reason you can't um, relieve yourself within the confines of the camp is because sometime, because somehow that is anathema to God's presence being able to be in the camp. So let not that not be so, so that God's can continue to be with you and therefore fight for you. Um, otherwise, if there's enough going on in the camp that's filthy and disgusting, just by nature of what it is, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not sinful. It doesn't say it makes you impure because that would be ridiculous because if you don't relieve yourself then you are toxifying we all know this you toxify and die so it's not that it's bad it's that it's gross right we all know that and and every human civilization has kind of a reaction to human excrement which is probably helpful because <laughs> we know if you don't stay away from it terrible diseases happen right so it makes total sense that we are ingrained to have a yucky reaction to excrement. Um, But this seems to be taking it another step that God too would find it gross. Um, And so don't have it in the camp where you expect God's presence to dwell. We can assume they did not relieve themselves in the Mishkan. So it feels sort of consistent, right? That you, you wouldn't do that in the Mishkan. So don't do it in the camp where God is expected to be. Okay. Lovely. (laughs) right? She's really going to stay with these verses for the rest of the morning. Yes, she is. Okay. Because look what the rabbis do. Here's what the rabbis do. We're going to now look at a text and I'm going to walk you through it. Stay with me. We're going to walk through a text from the Maor Vashemesh translated by Rabbi Jonathan Slater, who we learned with. Um, and this is from the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, as you can see. So Rabbi Jonathan Slater has been working with the Maor Vashemesh. That's the name of a work. Um, and so he is going to translate for us from the original Hebrew. And Barry, look how good I am for you. I even have the Hebrew for you, Barry, um, if you want to check it out. So Kitetze. So the Maor Vashemesh is going to comment on and is going to look at our verse, the verse we started with. When you go out as a camp against your enemy, take care against anything evil, right? We translated it as davara, a any anything 
Here's thing, davar, ra, evil. I like this translation better. Take you care against anything evil. If there should be among you a person who was not ritually pure because of a night accident, he's supposed to go outside the camp. But that they didn't continue with the verse. They're giving us just the, the certain parts of the verse that, that the Moorba Shemesh is linking together. So if you have somebody who's not pure because of a night accident, that's all he quotes of that verse and then jumps right to a spike you should have along with your weapon. And then we get filled in the rest of the verse, right? You are to dig with it. And when you return, you're to cover up your excrement for God walks about in your camp. So the camp is to be holy so that God does not see among you anything of nakedness and turn away from you. Things, by the way, which the Canaanites were accused of doing. And that's how they got kicked out of the land. One of them has to do with nakedness, but we're not going there. It's fun, but it's not as fun as this. Okay. The sage is taught in relation to this verse. You ready? Why are our fingers pointed like a spike? Speaking of spikes, why are our fingers? Why do they, why are they shaped like spikes? So that if we hear something improper, we can place our fingers in our ears. Very convenient. God provides us with ways to stop listening to anything untoward. Any davara, because davar doesn't mean just thing. What else does davar mean? It means word. So anything evil or any word that's evil, God has given us spikes to put in our ears. Similarly, they taught, why was the lobe created for the ear? So that if we hear something improper, we can plug our ear with the lobe. How convenient is that? I don't know how that works exactly. My lobes really don't go in my ear, but you get the idea. For all this, we still need to explain, in case that wasn't enough for you, in case, you, in case that didn't close, <laughs> close everything for you, um, we still need to explain why the verse regarding the spike follows the verse that preceded it. So what is the verse about the spikes? What does that come after? It comes after if, when you go out against your enemy, let there be no evil thing, right? Okay. Those whose inner eye is uncovered from the blind stupidity of the moment. Now here, Barry, just so you know, it's playing with Sechel with a sin and Sechel with a Samech. And I believe stupidity is something about Sechel with a Samech. So those whose inner eye is uncovered, so they are wise, they have Sechel from the blind stupidity of the moment, another kind of Sechel with a different letter and who have dedicated themselves to go to battle. Ah, now we're starting to see the connection. Of course. What is the battle that's being talked about here? Torah is not just true for the time of Torah, God forbid. Torah is God's ongoing spiritual revelation to us. We just have to dig. I get it, dig. We just have to dig enough to find, thank you, Jody. the spiritual meaning here. Well, what is the battle? The rabbis go to battle all the time. And the people of Israel go to battle all the time. It's not just actual battle back in the day. This is spiritual teaching for our time. What is the battle always for the rabbis? The battle is the battle against the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, right? Think think what uh, jihad means. What is jihad, right? What is the real war, the holy war? 
ask any really true faithful Muslim and they'll tell you the real jihad is talking about the jihad within conquering the evil impulse. I don't know how they talk about evil impulse, but right. Conquering our lower inclination and our inclination to do bad and to sin. That's the real battle. Well, of course the rabbis know that. Here we go. So if you're doing battle and struggling against your Yetzer, and they, they mean you don't need to struggle against your Yetzer Hatov, your good inclination. So you don't even need to add Hara, right? The only Yetzer you need to really struggle against is the bad one. To purify their thought and heart and devotion to the creator, to sanctify and purify ah, their body and limbs to avoid contact with foreigners. Now we can take offense at that. That's fine. But remember the rabbis, they are very, 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 very clear about their boundaries, Jew and everybody else, goyim. There are Jews and there are goyim, and they are very clear about this boundary. Um, they, ha- they had to be, right? The, the temptation to assimilate was huge. The temptation to fall in love with somebody who's not Jewish and marry them, and then you had to leave the Jewish world, you had to leave the Jewish community entirely, that was very tempting. And converting out was always very tempting. So... They had to be very clear, right? That that's contaminating. Any contact with Goyim is contaminating. So if you want to stay pure, you avoid contact with foreigners or the impurity of the impure side, the sitra achra, the the dark side. For this, they must guard the covenant of the tongue, all right, which is parallel to the covenant of the flesh and to keep their tongue from evil. Where is the covenant of the flesh? Where do we have a covenant in the flesh? That circumcision? Correct, with circumcision. So you see, they're going from when you squat to relieve yourself, they're talking to men. There are men writing this. There are men imagining what all this means. And they're talking to other men. When men relieve themselves, what are they holding in their hands? If they're not squatting, (laughs) if they relieve themselves, what have they got in their hand? The covenant of the flesh. So the rabbis say, just as the covenant of the flesh can be, can make us impure, we also have a covenant of the tongue, right? Remember talking about, you know, I am of uncircumcised lips, says Moses. This was an expression that would have, you know, carried some, you know, it was some, made some sense to them that we have circumcised lips, that we have, we have a covenant that involves purity of the tongue, of speech, To keep their tongue from evil, they must place a muzzle on their mouth so that they do not say anything related to Lashon Hara, right? Evil speech, gossip, or even the suggestion of such speech to not bear false rumors regarding anything about which people speak. Doing so, heaven forbid, gives power to the side of impurity, right? So whether it's a nocturnal emission caused by the other side, the side of impurity, or what we do when we are tempted into not right speech is also about the other side, the side of impurity. They come from the same place and they would become impure themselves, subject to evil thoughts, night accidents, and blemishing, God forbid, the covenant of the flesh, right? How do you blemish the covenant of the flesh? You put it somewhere it doesn't belong, right? So I love this in the age, frankly, of hashtag me too, because where does it place the responsibility for blemishing the covenant of the flesh? Where does it place the responsibility for the rabbis? 
On the men? On the men. Directly onto human beings. Once you start down a certain path, you start flirting, which is speech that is not appropriate or proper. First of all, you start talking to a woman who's not your wife. That's already a problem, right? Because then you start, I don't know, insinuating and then, then, then you start to flirt a little. Then you start to have fantasies about her. Now you've got a night emission. That's already a thing. But if that isn't bad enough, if it goes far enough, right, you're going to sleep with her, right? It leads to dancing. So you don't want that to happen, God forbid. So you just protect against that, that whole impure side by refraining from anything leading down that road that begins with the covenant of the mouth, that begins with speech. Do not enter counsel where you'll hear words spoken in a whisper, meaning things that people are embarrassed to say out loud. Cause you know, what is that thing about? If you don't have anything nice to say, come sit by me. Right. Because it's like you can't just say it out loud to anybody because who knows what they're going to think about what you have to say. You have to only whisper it to somebody, you know, is going to be okay with right what you're about to say, gossip or whatever. In this manner, you will more easily stop your impulses from querulous words that come from knowing little about the connection between this and that. I have to tell you, this came up in my rabbinate just this week. There was a conversation among some people in leadership that had no idea between the connection between this and that there were a lot of assumptions made and they were erroneous assumptions. And it led to some very tricky and difficult moments, all because talking was happening among folks who know little about the connection between this and that. It's not that they intended in any way to cause a problem, but it starts with that, say the rabbis. And then you're down a really rocky road. Feelings get hurt. Things get said. They can't be taken back, right? Even if it's just, well, they don't know. They're just guessing. Well, guessing leads to assumptions and leads to erroneous conclusions that reflect back on the person they're talking about. So I love that this was just an issue like for me this week um, in dealing with um, and, and how we are as social beings, how we are as, as people who talk to each other. This is what our verse teaches when you go out as a camp against your enemies to battle and vanquish your Yetzer. Of course, that's what it means. Take you care against anything evil, davara, meaning diburim ra'im, evil speech and tailbearing. If there should be, and the word for if is key, which often means if, but the rabbis are going to lean on a different interpretation of key to say it means because, like as a consequence, explaining why you need to take care. Because if you don't, there will be among you a man who is not ritually pure, right? If you continue with evil speech, what, what is bound to happen you will give power to the sitra achra to provoke you and make you impure. That is why scripture in the subsequent verses gives this advice, a spike you should have with your weapon, aznecha. Remember we said, put it all aznecha on your kit. It would be better to place your finger in aznecha, your ears. 
<laughs> so don't read Aznecha. God has a sense of humor. God is making a little pun. And if you know how to interpret this stuff well enough, then you know, here's your spikes. Put a spike on your kit and don't put it all Aznecha on your kit. Put it all Oznecha. <laughs> put them in your ears. You've got to love the rabbis. You have to love the rabbis, people. And know, and not know what is spoken. Lest Lashon Hara should be in your ears when you later uncover. We're not done, but okay. I want to pause there to see if there's any burning question, any burning, anything that anyone wants to say so far. So this is like free association is what you're saying. Rather than logical going from point A to B, they're just taking one and going somewhere else and then somewhere else from there and somewhere else from there. So sort of, yes. So yes, it's associative. Their right, way associative. of doing things is associative for sure. However, there is a logic from mm-hmm. A to B. If you listen and speak Lashon Hara, it's going to lead. We know this. We're human. We know this. We know this is true spiritual teaching. And I'm not being cheeky now. I'm being completely serious. We know that's true. The minute you start talking and listening and participating in evil speech of any kind, we know what happens. Even if you don't do an action that's so terrible, come on. It changes our character. It changes how people see us. If someone says, if you have nothing nice to say, come sit by me. Well, if they're always calling, you know, Barbara Klein over, you know what Barbara's listening to because she's sitting over there by Judith Ubik. So we know what they're talking Right. So right, even, even if it doesn't actually lead to action, it leads to you being seen as a certain kind of person. Y- you become a certain kind of person if you participate in a lot of that, right? So, so that's logical. So the, what the rabbis do, though, that to me is so brilliant, is that they read it back into the text in a way that makes sense. Crazy enough. Take a spike. Put it in your ears is very close to right it said yod there's a yod the yod tells you what to take the fingers of the yod right the monument is a yod is a hand take the spikes of the yod is what it's there to remind you and put it not al aznecha on your gear but al oznecha in your on ear. your ear it is just a beautiful play on words that that's just genius to me, right? So it's like, stop up your ears from even listening to that kind of garbage. Now, if we want to make a jump, think about how much garbage people are listening to right now. Fake news, alternative facts, conspiracy theories. This is a serious teaching the rabbis are giving us. Once you start listening to that crap, right? It is it is a fast track down a very dark hole. Yeah, Judith. Two things. What does Vashem mean? I, I'm thinking of Yad Vashem, the pointing to names, so a, a monument to names. To names. Secondly, I've understood that even if you start talking about somebody in the positive, it can very quickly turn to yes, but. And then it automatically proceeds to go down that hole again. Right. And this is, and, we've talked about this. The rabbis are very clear. You shouldn't be talking about other people at all. Period. Period. And, and finally, I always thought that the nighttime emissions were sexual in nature, not necessary 
not necessarily just excrement, but that they were uh, men's fantasies and semen. That's different from excrement. We have both here. We have night conditions and we have when you squat, you will cover it up and you can't do it inside the camp. Those are two different things. But is it referring to both? Yes. Okay. The text actually in Torah says both. There's the case of someone having an emission. They have to leave the camp and you have to leave the camp to relieve yourself. Right. Both are here. Okay. They're not related in that sense. The rabbis do a little bit of associating by saying what causes night emissions is, is the sitra achras, the side of impurity. Because night emissions are you having a sexual fantasy that's right. just not about your wife. Right. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not a man. But, um, but right, it's generally not about your wife. So it's, it's thoughts and dreams from the impure side that renders you, that actually causes a man to become impure because he has a night emission, right? And the same, um, and so... I don't know where I was going with that, but, but so, so the same with our tongue that we get, we get pulled by the side of impurity, right? Men do by having a night emission, we get pulled to this from the side of impurity to, to violate the covenant of the tongue. To Lashon Hara. To Lashon Hara. And I'm also thinking, this is how cats operate. They cover up their own excrement. (laughs) Isn't there, wasn't there a sense in Torah that things that come out of the body, uh, and th- this would apply to menstruation as well, that there's something strange oh, and a lot of- virtually impure about them? Um, so I wouldn't say strange because it happens regularly to most women um, and to most men and in terms of emissions. Um, it, no, because even if you have sex with your wife, you're rendered impure. It's that things that live inside the body, when they come out, Interestingly enough, it's never said about relieving oneself anywhere, anywhere here, isn't it? Everybody would be impure all the time, several times a day, depending how much water you drink. If you were impure every time you came into contact with urine or excrement, you would be impure a lot of the time. So that is never included. Other emissions that are not usual in terms of your daily routine that come out of you render you impure semen menstrual blood um and then the oozing from a wound when we talk about leprosy okay so um Mm, did anyone else have their hand up breast milk no amy breast milk no no so emelinda it's a good point what what does that suggest about breast milk and about breastfeeding that it's sacred that it's a normal, natural part of your daily routine, just like urinating. And that, it's life-giving. It's and life-giving. It, but, but, it's, but it means if you rendered a woman impure every time she breastfed, she, she, would, she would have to breastfeed outside the camp forever, right? And, and they nursed kids till they were three and four. Plus, you know, in, in the old days, um, the milk went directly into the mouth of whoever was drinking it. It's only now that the milk goes with these pumps or whatever into some kind of yeah, but, bags. But, but, so, but semen could go right from his penis into her vagina. Uh, so it, uh, true. It, it doesn't, I mean, it, that doesn't, true. That doesn't see, it's not about it just being out there. 
Okay. <laughs> right? It's about <laughs> and uncontained, right? It, it's about what usually doesn't come out of the body on a daily basis as part of normal life is renders one in a state of otherness, right? In this case, the word impure is a little misleading, right? We've studied, it it renders one in a state of otherness. One doesn't have sex every day, several times a day. Most people don't have sex several times a day, all day, every day, right? And so when you do have that kind of intimacy with your partner, you're in a state of otherness. That's fine, right? But if you did that with breast milk or relieving yourself, you would be in a state of otherness too much of the time to function, right? As, as part of the community. Okay. The Talmud picks up on this association, right? Between uh, the spike and all that good stuff. Bar Kapara. So this is the text from the Talmud. And Barry, it's there for you in the Hebrew from the Talmud. From uh, Tractate Ketubot. Bar Kapara expounded, what is the meaning of what is written? A spike you should have along with your weapon. Do not read your weapon, aznecha, but, but oznecha, your ear. So this is old. Why am I bringing you this text from the Talmud? Because that wordplay that I just showed you from the Ma'or Vashemesh, the Ma'or Vashemesh stands on very solid old wordplay ground as early as the Talmud, people. That, that's early. If you're talking about Hasidic texts that we're looking at, the Talmud is a pretty early source that, that the Ma'or Vashemesh is standing on has been taught when they're taught this verse from the time of the Talmud. If one hears something improper, improper, one should place one's finger in one's ear. This is what Rabbi Eliezer said. Why are people's fingers like pegs? The same word, right? You can use to translate that Hebrew word spike. If one hears something improper, one should place one's finger in one's ears. A teaching of the school of Rabbi Ishmael why is the whole ear hard and the earlobe soft? This is what Ma'or Vashemesh was referencing. If one hears something improper, one should bend the earlobe into it. Meaning the Holy One, blessed be God, designed the ear very specifically. Why put this soft thing at the bottom? Is it for earrings? God forbid. It is designed. Yeah, Jody says yes. It is designed. I agree. It is designed to plug the hard part of the ear. And so it's put there as this very convenient tool. That's why we have an earlobe. Beautiful. Rather than focusing on night emissions or another quote, evil act, Bar Kapara transforms this into a warning against listening to words that are not proper. Yet this is not the only association given with this verse. We're going to skip this one. Okay, so we'll trust that there are other ones. But I want to go to his question, and he breaks it down into pardes. Pshat, the regular simple interpretation, the literal interpretation. Remez, the hint. Sod. Oh, no, pshat. Uh, uh, so pardes. Pshat, remez, drash, and sod. So the, the, the literal is the pay, pshat. Remez uh, is a hint, and uh, Drash is explicating more on that, and so is the secret meaning of every single uh, part of Torah, every verse of Torah, Pardes, that is the acronym. So let's look at Remez, his, his interpretation of Remez, of what is this kind, what are some of the hints we can pick up on? How do you relate to the image of battle with the Yetzer Hara? Mark Fish, Robert Siegel, y'all have a field day. 
with this, right? I'd love to hear what y'all have to say about this. What, how do you relate to the image of battle with the Yetzirahara? Obviously, some people are going to hate that language and they're going to say, we have to engage, blah, blah, blah. We have to make peace with the other. Okay, whatever. Um, We have to incorporate them or something, whatever. Um, So this image for the rabbis is is it's a battle. It's a fight with the temptation to gossip, the temptation to fantasize about someone else, the temptation to say, look at, look at him. I can't stand him. Look at that look on his face, right? So whatever it is, we, we have, we have a lot of temptation that we're constantly battling against. Do you feel that you must constantly be on guard, ready to defend yourself from distraction, impulse, thoughtlessness? Do you have strategies to overcome the pushes and pulls of the Yetzir Hara? Do you relate in a different manner? What, how, or when? So I want you to hold that, just hold that, reflect on that. Like for me, it's impatience. It's just, it's true. I'm, I feel like I'm constantly, constantly being pulled towards impatience and careless speech as a result of that, right? What are our strategies to overcome the, the pushing and pulling of, of the Yetzirah, whatever it is for us? Okay. So hang on to that. I want to go down to a little bit from Sod, from kind of the secret meaning, the deeper mystical, spiritual meaning of this. Toward the beginning, Rabbi Kalanimus Kalman identifies, he's, he's who we looked at earlier, identifies the person who strives to avoid such speech as one whose inner eye is uncovered from the blind stupidity of the moment. So here's Sichlo and Sichlut. So this is what I was talking about. Sechel with a sin and sichlut with a samech. Uh, one means, you know, wisdom and one means stupidity. So in this phrase, we find the contrast between sechel, right? And so I, he's laying it out here for us. We train to open our inner eye of wisdom to avoid small-minded foolishness. But what is foolishness? It is sichlut hazman. Now listen what he's going to do. Sichlut, foolishness, hazman, of the moment. That's what Kalanimus Kalman said. Slater is saying, let's do more with this sichlut hazman, this foolishness of the moment. It could also be the stupidity of the times. Hallelujah. Right, people? Are you with me on this? Right? Sichlut hazman is not just momentary foolishness, right? Because we're momentarily distracted or, or impatient or whatever it is we are. Rather, zman means time. So it could be the stupidity of the times. We are living, right, with incredible amounts of stupidity of the time, I think. Whether it's about climate change, race relations, right, public policy, public health for crying out loud. In the former case, Ralph Kalmish reminds us not to get caught up in the events of this moment as they are final, permanent, conclusive. Like the moment is not permanent. It's a moment. It will pass. Surely we are to pay attention to what is happening now. He's not saying be in denial about what's happening, how life is unfolding. Surely events may be distressing, confusing, painful. We certainly know a lot about that right now. We may witness people behaving badly, right? Don't even get me started right now on anti-vaxxers. We may see what looks like a threat to us, a potential loss or a potential conflict. Hello. I feel like he was just reaching into my life and like preaching, right? 
I am so tired of the garbage that I, I just can't even believe it. And I'm not saying I'm right about even most stuff, but come on, like the kind of, the kind of crazy they're chipping us, you know, they're putting a microchip in us with the fact that it's like, come really, do you have a phone? Do you shop on Amazon ever? Well, they already have everything they need on you. Oh my God. Okay. So when we bring mindful attention to these events, Amy Bernstein, uh, that you're hearing and seeing, you can come down, right? We learn to identify precisely what's happening without judgment or editorial comment. I wouldn't have anything to say to y'all if I took this seriously, right? Like, think about that. What if we could really kind of figure out how to hold what's happening, however distressing and confusing and painful, without judgment? or editorial comment. But when our mindfulness is blinded by confusion or fear, we jump to conclusions. We make rash decisions. We act out of habit and self-concern. As a result, we will like we likely we will contribute to a great to greater confusion and suffering. And our speech will follow suit. We will speak Lashon Hara. Great. So Rabbi Jonathan Slater is saying what Kalanimus Kalman is really teaching us in the Ma'or Vashemesh is about mindfulness and awareness, that that's what prevents us from getting caught in the moment, permitting us to be more fluid in our response. It nurtures patience to see what will happen next. So to stay curious about what's going to happen instead of getting all crazy about it, Amy, Um, to notice how things might change and and what we had imagined was happening is actually something else. And if we learn that what we imagined is indeed taking place, having paused to observe it, we will be more likely to respond with wisdom, balance, and skill than otherwise. This applies then to the second translation of this phase, stupidity of the times, when we are mindful to learn to observe what is happening around us, allowing us to ask the question, who says, is this really so, blah, blah, blah then we can resist the forces of the marketplace that pushes and pulls of popular opinion. We gain a degree of stability, insight, and wisdom. Rather than contributing to the destructive discourse of accusation and rebuttal, of taking sides and accounting winners and losers, we learn instead to use our words to heal, to encourage, and to chastise with love. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Right? Um, I highlighted the final, uh, some stuff in the final paragraphs. You can read that on your own, but I just think it's, it's really, it's really incredible teaching for our time. It's really, it's really helpful. Um, He talks about, you know, when we stop our ears from listening to negative voices, those snippy comments offered sotto voce, right? We're in such bad habits about that. Um, in general, um, when we do not listen to the bickering and sniping of others, or when we listen dispassionately and with discernment, we realize how complex life is and how unlikely it is that what is being reported is accurate, right? So Amy, what do you know about those people and their theories and their conspiracy theories? How do you know what they're hearing? How do you know how they were raised? How do you know that they don't have legitimate fears that you just don't take into account because you don't have to face those? Like, life's complicated. And like when we can hold things as a little more sophisticated and a little more intricate and a little more complicated, then we'll figure out that what, what's being reported is usually not exactly accurate, right? Even the trusted sources that we tend to believe, they have an agenda too. They, 
they have a perspective too. And it's the one we agree with. And it's the one we tend to want to hear, but we don't do a lot to try to figure out what is actually going on for those other folks who were so ready to judge and so ready, you know, to dismiss and so ready to demonize and otherwise. Right. And, and I just think these teachings from the Hasidic tradition that they read back into Torah, they've got teeth. They've got a lot of teeth because I can so easily apply most of this to right now without any effort, no effort. And if I really took this seriously, what would it mean? Like, what if I carried these around as spikes, as ear pegs? <laughs> what if I really carried them around like that? How often would I do this? If I really wanted to live into the spiritual values that would make me a kinder, wiser, more compassionate, more patient, deeper person, better person, right? I'd be putting my fingers in my ears a lot. And one of the ways you do that is you use your finger to use the off switch for, <laughs> for CNN, for NPR, for like to just kind of take a break from all the that's constantly going on because that's how they make their living that's how they make money is for you to listen i get that for me to listen i'm an addict i own it but what if i were to turn it off for a while and take a break and maybe just fantasize about huh that idea i was teaching my tire study group this morning right and and let my mind go down some other paths there's some sermons coming up I'm supposed to like, you know, like what? If, or just, I was reading this article that Michael Schwartz um, pointed me to from the New York Times about, about um, this advice about creativity in, in our elder years is about allow yourself to waste time the way you did as a kid when you thought you were immortal. Because we don't do that anymore. We don't just sit around and turn off CNN and turn off NPR. I'm talking about myself, you know, without something to do and a chore to do and a task to do and something to prepare and and just let ourselves be and daydream and waste time farting around with something that's not going to be very good. Like I suck at any kind of creative, creative art stuff. I suck. But what if I were to just allow myself to suck? And just do it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, the artists are all nodding. Uh huh. So what if I were to just do that and, uh-huh, and quit judging so much and just let myself play like you used to with crayons? What, what if we were to go back to wasting time as being valuable? Because once we get into this mode, we don't have a lot of time left. We got to use every second productively. We start to twist ourselves into something that is just not the best versions of who we could. <laughs> what can I tell you? Um, part part of why I wanted, I know I got to shut up, but I know I, I wanted to do this with you partly because I can read a verse of Torah with my Chavruta partner and know that there's got to be stuff like this about it, <laughs> right? But you can't know that and trust that and the gorgeousness of how broad and deep and amazing this tradition is until you get exposed to it. So part of of what I realized was this may not have been the most exciting part of Torah to teach. It doesn't mean there isn't Torah in our tradition around these verses to teach. There's a lot. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.